one day so election day big day for our country and for political scientists how are you uh, feeling there Joel I didn't really get any work done today I felt like I was pretty much strapped into a very idiosyncratic emotional roller coaster but it was pretty much like anxiety, mm-hmm. fear, mm-hmm. sadness, mm-hmm. and confusion. Those were the main moves. <laughs> Feeling. Those are the main moves how in the you, roller coaster. Uh, how did that uh, manifest in your activity today? I mean, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, like a lot of reading the news, yeah. Yeah. a lot of like... Checking 538, checking my Twitters, checking in with my homies. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of really, like, I think it would have been better spent, really honestly, the whole day if I just meditated all day. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true. I ate a lot of candy. I like also way ate way too much candy. I also ate a decent amount of I candy. Ate a lot of candy today. Yeah, but I think I should have just meditated all day, honestly, yeah. and done yoga and meditated. I think it would have been way better. Yeah. I a little pooped. A little yeah. pooped because I, I was up pretty late last night playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> That's true. We also did a lot of working out at the rock. And we gym. worked out a lot. I was pretty pooped today. So. Well. 
So do we have something happy to talk about? I mean, I don't know. Today we're going to talk about the um, final chapter, substantive chapter of Santi's book, which is a comparative chapter. That's right. He's coming on Wednesday. He is coming to class to Zoom with us. Tell him I said hi. I will. I will. Um, I won't interrupt. I won't. Like deprofessionalize your <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, zoom at this by point, poking I my think, head in. I think you should just joking. Um. So anyway, so so we're gonna talk about that chapter of the book. I was gonna get, start with a few um, Bolivia updates, which is that. Um, I wish we had like a unsolved mysteries update music. <laughs> well, you could probably. Do, 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 do. I'm sure, you could paste one in or whatever you call it. Edit one in on the It's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> I'm not that great at the overlapping sounds, I gotta be honest. Um all right, so the new president from the MAS, Arce, will take office on November eighth. So they're also about to have a big transitional uh moment. Um, How do you spell the name? A R C E. Um he was a former finance minister. Santi actually interviews him in this there's like interviews quoting him in this book. Cool, he met um, the new president of Bolivia. Seems that way. I mean, at least from judging from the interviews in the book. So I was gonna, I was hoping that we get to get a little cheese may, a little gossip mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. on that. Um, now in the sort of so, I mean, in a way, that's a victory for social movements. On the sort of flip side, you know, the new leadership is still gonna face the daunting challenges of a polarized country. This is a quote from the new one. We're talking about Bolivia. Articles. Bolivia. <laughs> Polarized country, country ravaged by COVID-19 and hampered by endemically weak institutions, oh. said the Washington office on Latin America. Uh, right, Bolivia. Let's <laughs> talking about Bolivia here. I, I don't know if our institution... Well, anyway, it's good. But so do you want to know something else that I read about in the news that just was in the news, I think, today or in the last couple of days anyway, was... The Congress, um, which is controlled by the MAS, um, approved on Thursday night a report that recommends a lawsuit against the outgoing right-wing president, Añez, uh, for genocide and other alleged crimes. So, Lock him up. <laughs> it's a little lock him up action. Lock her up. Um, oh, her. her. Really, it's even a her. Oh, it's my God. Her. Oh, my yeah, God. You could actually lock her up. But the... I don't know where we'll go because the MAS doesn't have a majority. Um, mm-hmm. So, so who recommended the law, the lawsuit? The MAS. The MAS. Yeah, I mean, she did uh, actually apply some pretty broad-based repression. She no. killed a bunch of protesters, you know. So it's it's not like uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, right? Um, it also is a little dangerous, as we know, for democracies to, you know. Right, you want accountability, but also the sort of locker up claims can be potentially problematic. Um, right, it poses a threat to, you know, someone's sense that the transfer of power, trust. Right. So you know, I, I mean, yeah. she also came to power in a coup. So I mean, it's very, it's a complicated situation. So they're in, in a bit of a rough patch. I mean, I don't know what will happen. I mean, we'll, it, it will Ask be Santi. interesting to see. I don't know if he has any gossip. So this first, um, but anyway, so that's that's a little current events sort of update. Um, the chapter itself, if we move back into the book, um, starts with a comparison to the workers, a description of a, it's a comparison with the Workers' Party uh, in Brazil, um, which was founded in 1980, which mm-hmm. was during the country's military regime. 
Okay. And it was founded by labor leaders, intellectuals, and social movement activists. Uh, this is from page 168 and 69 in the book. Um, the PT won the presidency in 2002 and placed an unusual presidential candidate, Luis Inacio mm. da Silva, also known as Lula, Lula, who was a fourth grade educated union leader, um, mm -hmm. and he became the president. So while based in organized labor, the party um, also included sort of much broader sort of social groupings. Uh, the list includes the organized left, Catholic activists, progressive politicians, intellectuals, feminist groups, gay movements, Afro-Brazilians, human rights advocates, and environmentalists. This so is the PT. This is the PT. So if we're thinking about the comparison with the MAS, this seems like a reasonable um, comparison point because you also see um, a party, it's based, in, unlike in the COCA union, and mm -hmm. which is rural, it's an urban union, but still in sort of union politics, but with a, a sort of broader Broad coalition, underneath. coalition, coalition of uh, allied social movements. Um, so that's sort of just to set up sort of the party and some of the similarities, and then we're going to think through in the next uh, chunk of quotes that you have a little bit of how the PT was actually uh, rather formed into a quite different party than the MAS. Okay. So on 170, page 170, we learn that the military regime's bureaucratic regulations forced new parties to perform onerous registration tasks within a short period of time. Heavy regulations pushed party builders into a process of what might be called early bureaucratization. Establishing a bureaucratic, centrally organized party at the very onset of its existence was indeed necessary to permit the party's initial survival. Okay. So this is saying that like the military regime essentially part of the price of doing business with it mm -hmm. was a kind of bureaucratic bureaucratization. And so for the PT to survive, it had to do its centralizing, bureaucratizing, professionalizing stuff that the MAS still has not done. Right. I mean, think about this. I don't know if you, do you remember the sort of way that the MAS becomes a party? No, it's been a couple weeks. It's been a few weeks. Sorry. So if you think back, there was the the to the sort of way the MAS becomes a party is that it just right. It's sort of basically the coca growers union and the sort of allied peasant organizations that just start running on other parties' registries because they never actually form right. their own registry. Right. Right. So like the MAS is like a kind of defunct left party that they That's just right. like take That's over right. the party registry. So like compare this kind of party incorporation to this like extremely formalized process that you had to go through. I mean, think about, if you think about the context, um, presumably this was making a lot of hoops so that there couldn't be very many opposition parties formed, I, right? Yeah. And that the ones that were formed were very legible to the authoritarian Yeah, regime. we're following its rules. Right. So, you know, if you think about that context versus the Bolivian context, right, you have a very different early period, both in terms of like the political context but also, you know, what that meant in terms of the need to have very mm -hmm. clear, organized mm -hmm. um, That's interesting. Rules. That's interesting. Okay. So I'm seeing here on 171 and 172 that while initially the party relied on local groups of at least 21 party affiliates organized by neighborhood, job category, workplace, or social movement, uh, you say that in 2001 the party introduced a process of direct elections for the selection of party authorities and candidates. This ended up increasing the decision-making autonomy of the party leadership by undermining the power of collective actors and appealing directly to individual party members. 
The reform made the party more inclusive, but it also promoted a participation of low intensity. So let me explain what I understand is happening here. I don't think I quite understand it. Okay. It's a little, I've like strung together a few things just to try to yeah. not have you read so much. No, no. So so we go, we're starting early and we're going to move up in time. So we're starting in the 1980s. So I'm, I'm learning the process here of yeah. the early bureaucratization. Well, and it, it sh- the early bureaucratization looks like these, or these party affiliates, right? So the structure okay. here is still connected very tightly to base movement groups. Right. right. But then in 2001, the party introduced a process of direct elections for candidates. Yeah, so this is like internal processes, right? So internal think about processes. the like selection yeah. process for the mosque where you have like some are appointed by the central leadership and some are like coming directly up from the base with whatever kind of process, right? That there's this hodgepodge of processes. And this that are is happening. elections. But internal for party members. Right. So this is not a yeah, primary, yeah. right? No, I understand. I understand. This is an internal process. It's like right. selecting their... Their party leaders, their candidates for election um, okay. is happening. So it used to happen much more through these organized groups. So you had your organized group, and the groups would be the ones that would be in charge of this stuff. And that was the early part of the PT's history. Mm-hmm. And now there is some elections, which these direct elections end up increasing the decision-making autonomy of party leadership by undermining the power of collective actors and appealing directly to individual party members. So explain a little bit about why, I don't think I quite understand the logic of why the direct election necessarily increases the decision-making autonomy of the leadership. I think because you're no longer, I mean, I guess I would, the, the way I understood this um, was that when you have um, collective actors in general, they tend mm-hmm. to have more power than atomized individuals. And so you had previously a system in which everybody was organized into these territory or territorial or functional groups mm-hmm. that would then be coming together as an affiliate to represent their interests to the party. So the direct election shatters the power of these organized affiliate groups. Correct. Uh, that so makes sense. So instead of those yes. groups, those representatives, right, from the movements being the ones responsible. Now I now, understand. Now you now have I understand that the party leadership is able to, in a sense, the uh, the people who are running for election, direct election with all yeah, in front of all of these party yeah. members are able to form their own coalitions rather than essentially having to gain the support of a pre-organized, pre-existing network of people. Right. And so... In so the leaders of those affiliates lose power. Exactly. Or those the, those the small cliques of affiliates, right? Yeah. Like those the individual groups. units and movements, really, because that's what right. we're talking about here. The movements yes. that comprise or compose the union. Excuse me. The, par- the whole comprises the parts. The right. parts compose the whole. <laughs> yeah. A little grammar lesson, everyone. Right. Um, <laughs> a real pet peeve of mine. <laughs> A real pet peeve of mine, sorry. <laughs> Comprised of is a really huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Composed of. That's what you're going for. There you go. Um, those little individual movements that compose the party right. lose power. Right. That's the... Right, and so we can think about it as a more inclusive process in that more voices are now voting, right? More people are being heard, but their voices are no longer organized and interest-based, and so that now those sort of base movements become, their representation becomes diluted. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing actually in this process, if you look at the timing, 
is that this is actually when you see the shift of the PT from, um, right, initially they're in opposition to the authoritarian regime, then you have a period where they're in power at the local level, and then when this change happens, you see that change right before they take national power. Okay. Right, so it's sort okay. of setting off, like, the early part where they're in the opposition, they are more connected to these base actors, even though they've been formalized from the get, right, mm -hmm. because of the formation under the bureaucratic authoritarian regime. So they've already been, like, formed with a sort of st high, highly structured thing. Yeah. The base movements retained a voice while they were in power at the local level. And as you get this transition, as they're about to take national power, you see this. Now, does the PT realize that they're about to take national power? Well, I mean, they've been seeking it for this whole period. Um, and do they f presumably what the precipitates polling would this? be... Uh, what precipitates this change in 2001? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I mean, they would have been increasing their power in Congress to some degree, though the okay. Congress is very... Uh, there's no majorities. We'll talk about this in a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were probably, this was probably the best chance that the PT had had in terms of its, I don't know when the, how long their electoral cycle is, but, um, and it may just have also been like, they had clearly been doing all the work to nationalize the party in the sense to make an appeal that would be able to win the presidency, right? So this is like in a process of increasing, as we'll talk about, like moderation, pragmatism, right? turning into a more mm -hmm. sort of uh, a party. They were shifting to be a party that could win a presidential election. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you got to bust all those factions that I mean, to do yeah. that, right? Because, like, everyone wants their little piece. And it's and like, I, I mean, can't be giving out little pieces to all of y'all well, if I'm trying to... Wait to see who you're going to have to give a piece out to once you're in government. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, right. right, we're talking, right, this is like the Odebrecht, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, now I think you've got one. Um, all right, so I, this, like I said, was this, was like the period with the social affiliates was when the PT was in um, local government. And the PT during this period did all kinds of things that I think we could think about as also being representative of that social movement base, right? So they generated a wide array of participatory programs of which you probably um, know, right? This is like the participatory budgeting um, that was pretty big. Um, you also saw in this period that the MAS, uh, uh, like the MAS, the PT increased the, work, the presence of working class um, men and women, both rural and urban. Uh, and including an unprecedented number of Afro-Brazilians, women, and labor and community leaders in the Congress. So they were also sort of fielding candidates still during this period that were, that were diversifying who was in power or who was in seats of power. I don't know if that was all in the legislature, also in, I guess, their mayors, right, their um, local. They did a lot on the local level. So you saw, like, a, a kind of diversification of, um, from this traditional kind of elite politics so that characterized Brazilian politics. It sounds to me like what I'm what I'm hearing is that it's like how stressed I am. It's like I'm gonna reflect back to you what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing is that the that the party, the PT, it's kind of like they 
they don't turn their back on those factions. Rather, they just believe that... Or I would say not factions, but like... Sorry, affiliates. Movements. Movements that are under... Yeah, yeah, factions is the wrong word here, but... um, We're going to get to some factions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Fractions, actually. Fractions? I despise fractions. That's what our Um, daughter says. But that they, they don't turn their back on these movements, but rather kind of the leadership sees itself as knowing best how to achieve some of those goals? Or or is it making a concession representationally, saying, like, yeah, I know we screwed your leadership, right? Well, this is still in this period, the period before they take national power, that this is all happening, right? So this is when they're in local government. Okay. So this is sort of thinking through what's going on Right, we have if we could sort of chunk it into three periods, right? The period under the authoritarian regime formation. Formation, not a whole lot of ability to do very much because it's right. an authoritarian regime other than like socially, right? So mm-hmm. here you right. see movements. I mean what they're doing is anti authoritarian protest. Okay. So right? first phase formation. And 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 sort of anti and pro democratization, I mean, anti authoritarian. Right? Okay. Kind so of. first phase Processes, formation, agenda, democratization. Right. Second phase. Second phase, you've still got a lot of this base movement stuff that came out of that coalition that was partly fighting for democracy, right? So you have this very broad-based coalition that came out of that fight for democracy, and you are getting power at the local level, but otherwise anything in national political life is opposition, right? Okay, I can't fit that into my framework of process and goal. <laughs> process and goal. Well, left politics. So there's still sort of a Marxist, Marxist-y party, not quite, but a little more of this kind of like... What's the process that would characterize it? Uh, so the first local stage process. Winning local elections. Local. And this is like implementing okay. participatory politics. In this period, they're seen as this like very clean. Continued democratization. That's but still also the like a continued democratization. Yeah, that's like actually a nice characterization, right? That they're like a clean pol- political force, unlike um, many of the Brazilian parties in this period. They are actually exhibiting party discipline. Um, so you have them, you mm-hmm. know, sort of having like a much clearer kind of mm-hmm. uh, vision. Okay, third phase. Third we're phase not there is coming, I think, maybe Kay. now. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's where we're going now. All right, here we go. Lula's this is page one seventy six. Lula's electoral victory in two thousand two occurred when social mobilization was not on the ascent, as would have been true if Lula had won nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety four. He ran like many times. Okay. You can see from this. But Lula's election followed a decade in which mass activism had fallen off. And the mass organizations built in the 1970s and 1980s were devastated by an economic liberalization that eliminated, for example, half the industrial working class in Brazil. So, I mean, this helps me understand, I guess, I mean, I still don't quite, I mean, it's not important to to answer now, but it raises more questions for me about party reform in 2001 of the PT. I I I can't. I mean, it might. Yeah. I might be able to. Sorry, I don't mean to. I mean, there was like I can't. I'm like getting them a little. I don't bit mean to harp on the confused. I've cut some of the things. There were. I mean, all of these had factions, right? And so you had like pragmatic, middle of the road politicians fighting against more 
radical politicians in both the PT and the FA, the Frente Amplio, that we're going to talk about in a minute in Uruguay. So part of that process um, may be driven by something that was called the um, Grupo Mayoritario. You don't have to look it up. You don't have to look it up. I don't mean to distract us from... Anyway, it's really not that <laughs> important, but I think it's like this... Um, <laughs> this uh, I can't remember now if that was mm. the FA or the PT. Um, I feel like I've really recreated a classroom yeah, it's environment the it's, so, so this group, this group that was this more moderate group called the majority group, um, was in fact the PT, I'm remembering it correctly. Um, it, I mean, it's like, it's different factions. Now I think faction is the right term. Jockeying for power. And that the more moderate, less radical faction Mm -hmm. wants the base movements to have less power, and they're partly this weakening is partly what allows them some ability, I think, to be more ascendant in this moment. I also think an increasing right. pragmatism was coming through their governance, right? That they were actually taking over some big... Right, they were having bigger wins. Bigger wins, like, right, governing Sao Paulo, like some major gotcha. places, right? And so that this was shifting the sort of they were already having to sort of turn to more pragmatic politics as they tried to negotiate and governing even at the local Why do you have level. to, why do you think you have to be more pragmatic? Well, I think some of that is, I think we should save that. You wanna save that? I think we should save like, it. I I, can question. we save that until yeah, the end? Because I feel like going through the set of right. like what happens, okay. it's like I want to get the whole picture All right, before I'll sh I'm gonna, I'm, uh, you've, 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 you've convinced me to just shut up and read I, fast well, I don't, so we I don't want to say that too. Okay, so, yeah, so, but I mean, that's like sort of where, what we have is like by the time that we get this. All right, I'm zipping it, you go. <laughs> no, I don't want you to zip it. By the time, so, Brazil has had a huge economic crisis. They've had liberalization. The unions are devastated, right? And that that is part of this, and all these things I just said are part of the path to moderation. Um, I guess the other thing that I will say on this, kind of on this question, which isn't exactly pragmatism, but because of the economic crises, and I mean, I suppose this could go multiple ways, but Brazil's a big economy. Mm -hmm. They had had experience with economic crisis. And so there was a lot of fear um, of electing a Marxist mm -hmm. that was gonna tank the economy and make everything go nuts, right? So I think one of the other things that happened was this moderation anyway, if not pragmatism, partly came out of trying to reassure enough actors that Lula could actually be president and wouldn't just like ruin Brazil. Right, both international, there was some of this was signaling to like lenders, mm -hmm. because one of the things that can happen in Latin American countries and countries that are not like the, I don't think this happened. This isn't. This is less of a concern. Though we see our stock markets being affected, but like basically there can be these horrible economic effects if if markets in in countries that are more subject to some of these capital fluctuations, if the mark if like these international bankers basically decide that your country is gonna be risky. It can cause capital flight that can then destabilize your economy before you've even done anything, right? Mm -hmm. so, so there's, I think, a lot of, um, that was also part of this story uh, okay. of this election.
What do you got next? Mm, it's me. 177. Once elected, Lula could not escape the general constraints of Brazilian politics. Specifically, the highly fragmented nature of its political system, often referred to as coalitional presidentialism, that in parts results from its open list proportional representation electoral rules for legislation. So Lula had to so there's keep a, million, a coalition. There's a million parties. Uh-huh. Some of this has been a little bit reformed, but a million parties. And during, I think still this is true in this period, because it was later that it got reformed, at least in the beginning of this period, party members would also just switch when they got elected, if they got like offered something better by a different party. Amazing. So you could like run under one party, and then you get into Congress, and you just ditch that party Change and join parties. a different party. Yeah. So trying to mm-hmm. navigate, and some of the parties then beca- are more like subnational parties. Mm. So like th- trying to govern and put together a coalition can be extraordinarily challenging in the Brazilian context. This is like the worst of proportional representation um, mm-hmm. with these like low thresholds where in a, in a way you think, yeah. oh, this is beautiful. It's like, you know, people can choose the candidate and it's proportional and it's like, but it creates this like situation of horrible governance because. Um, so much stability in the parties and it's. Right, open list means there's less of that party discipline that we talked about with the MAS, with the closed list systems, right? Where you have to look mm-hmm. to your, but if it's open list, then the voters are picking, right? It's or not ordered by the party. And then you have, um, yeah, this proliferation of parties, undisciplined parties. I mean, it's just sort of a fiasco, which is how, as doesn't get talked about in this, because it's, of course, later. Um, but the Odebrecht scandal, this big... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, in Brazil, it's called the Lava, Lava Jato. Yeah, which it was like much bribery so that I mean basically what was happening yeah. is that there was just sort of like instant coalitions being built by bribery by rather bribery. than yeah. programs yes to, because it's so hard to get anything passed yeah, yeah. makes yeah. sense to me alright so on page 179 if the participation of organized civil society in the creative formulation of public policies was not encouraged or fully supported by PT governments the ability of civil society to block or modify top down government policy was even less evident. So here we basically just see that from that early origins of a social movement party, by the time we're here, you see very little input or even veto power of the mobilization. And one of the interesting things that Santi points out is that when, so Dilma, who was after uh, Lula, when she was president, that she was impeached. And there was mobilizations against her, and like the, the the PT couldn't even manage to like mobilize its constituents in support of Dilma, really, right? Mm-hmm. That it was like their ability to actually really come to the defense of their own was really at that point quite hampered. So that those ties had either been severed, the movements themselves were weakened, you know, sort of this picture. So anyway, so Dilma was a PT candidate. Dilma was, yeah, she was Lula's successor from the PT. Okay. Um, so that's our little picture of the PT. Okay, so the PT forms during a dictatorship. Correct. It is a pro-democratization party connected pretty organically to yeah. many social movements. Mm-hmm. As it begins to 
oh, but first, is hold institutionalized. Up. Institutionalized yeah. very early because of the dictatorship context. Right. As it begins to have more and more electoral success, this early bureaucratization process that was begun um, really comes to a kind of like head and the the links between the movements beneath it or the, the movements that compose it really become severed around the time they take the presidency. Right. Right. They, those groups have weakened significantly by the time they get to the presidency. They've there been was weakened. The groups have partly been weakened by exogenous factors. Right. But then endogenous choices within the party further weaken these groups that have very little exogenous power outside right. the party. Right. Right. I mean, the party kind of kicks them while they're down. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah. the moderates in the party do take this, yeah. seize the moment, and of like course. harness the power. And, and win know. the presidency. Yeah. And win the presidency. Yeah. And presumably, you know, have some distributional, has some distributional effects for the it movements that, that compose the party. And then, yet, nevertheless, um, when the PT begins to govern, it... It, I mean, they it, still govern on the left, you know. I mean, again, yeah. I mean, the guy's like, in there for seven years. Yeah, uh, longer. Eight years, probably. sorry. Um, but the, yeah. So I mean, I mean, and if we're comparing this to the Moss, right? But so it has a difficult time. The part that you said at the end. I'm sorry. Before you go on. Oh, what did I say? The uh, part that you said at the end, though, is that the movements have been weakened through this process, and so when it comes time to rally behind the successor. Well, and even when it comes time to influence policy under Lula in a direct fashion. Right, they have no... There's very little of this, right? So you see very little. By the time that we're looking at the period of the PT and national in control of the executive, the national executive, there's very little input from movements, right? So it's like... The movements are just out. Insofar as it's a real win for social movements... Cut them loose. That these, well, so these were the people that were big in the movements... That are now in the PT, but it's not. It's no longer really connected to base movements by the time that we're talking about the um, the PT in in presidency. Right. So, and if the movements were essentially launch pads for the careers of professional politicians and political insiders through the PT. Right. Something like that. I think I would say. Okay. And, and I think that the other things that are. Um, Worth noting here is if we compare it to the MAS, I think the stuff about the party formation is really fascinating difference. You also see, of course, and we'll see this also with the Frente Amplio, the FA in, in Uruguay, is that the much longer rise to national power, right? Mm -hmm. If we think about the story of the MAS, it was like they were Coca Unions and then they were in the presidency in like a super short period of time. Right. right? That was something like 10 years, I want to say. It was very quick. And this is this much longer, right? They're they're active in the eighties, right? It's not until, you know, so it's well, I guess what is that? Till the two thousands. So still it's double the time, right? So it's like an extra ten years, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm hmm If they come in in what, two thousand two? And they start out in nineteen eighty, say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like still a longer period of mm -hmm. opposition government and, you know, Losing, right? Like, I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, Morales does lose once when he runs for the president. Um, Lula loses twice. I mean, so I don't know how different that. 
context is. But in any case, just some longer period of time in opposition. Um, but yeah, we see a very different path of like what candidate selection and uh, policy influence looks like than we do in the MAS in Bolivia, in spite of the fact that we could sort of see some similarities in that origin period in terms of the social movement basis. Okay, are we moving on to Uruguay? All right, so now we're moving on to Uruguay. So the broad front, which is uh, in Spanish is called the Frente Amplio, um, which is why it's FA. The roots can be traced even earlier. This party goes back to the 1960s. Um, when a diverse group of actors, this is from page 181, including labor leaders, established left parties, popular movements, splinters of traditional parties, urban guerrilla organizations, and progressive intellectuals converged on the idea of creating a popular front. The FA spent most of its formative period in opposition to an authoritarian regime from 1973 to 84, becoming an opposition party during the post-authoritarian period from 1985 to 2004, and then gaining national level power in, in the 2004 presidential election and the re-elections in 2009 and 2014. So very long mm -hmm. history of activity. Um, not a party for that whole period, uh, but, but yeah, starting as a party in the 70s. So that's a little bit of the, the FA's okay. uh, All right. little origin story. Okay, so on page 182, the party was founded in 1971 as a coalition of five fractions. So this is a Spanish, in Uruguay, the Frente Amplio's component parts are called fracciones, which I don't know why Santi doesn't translate as factions, whether there's like a different sense of that this fracciones is like a, I mean, I don't think that's the translation for factions, but. Anyway, they're called okay. fractions. Sure, throughout. we're following our authors. We're following our author. I don't know enough about Uruguayan politics to know sure. exactly the... Okay. Uh, the early adoption of a fractionalized structure, which is a central feature of the party's foundation that was kept alive during the military authoritarian period, has created incentives against the centralization of power in several ways. Specifically, it has forced competing fractions to engage in internal negotiations before reaching decisions. And it has created incentives for competition for party leadership. This internal competition, in turn, presents political elites with incentives to build organic ties with these base organizations so as to institutionalize each fraction's power. Okay, here's what I'm hearing. Yes. That there are five fractions... That, that, are, that has varied somewhat over time, but basically five. So, But the fractions, however many there are, are a kind of a constitutional feature. Not constitution, but like, like they are... This was a broad front, right? The party is called Broad Front. And so it is composed of other organizations that have agreed to come together to form a front. Right, right. And so it sees itself as a kind of coalition of these groups that are continuing to cooperate and collaborate rather than a single party. Well, I mean, yeah, they see themselves yeah. as a party, but like, yeah. Yeah. but it's like, but we're in this together. Not a, yeah, yes. And so this is kind of different in that this is a little bit more um, like, it's a little bit more constitutive of the identity of the of the party. 
I think so. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, but... I just mean that, like, so... I think what I mean is that it has a little bit more... Whereas it sounded like the PT mm -hmm. was a party that, like, united... That was the party that was like led by a a, a, a workers organization, a union, that was kind of like, "Come on, join me!" Right? right? Yes, 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 yes. And I Sally think the Forth. Mas, I think the Moss also. The Moss also. Right. It sounds to me like the Frente Amplio was like five dudes <laughs> and be like, "All right, let's lock arms and we'll hold the line." Right. Yes. And probably in this period, it may have actually literally been five dudes. Dudes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. I'm. In the six, you know, yeah. like in the period, in the these were like revolution. These were like Marxists and social, like socialists and communists and like these kind of left. Any social democrats in there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Uh, on page one eighty three, from early on, the FA sought to be an open and internally responsive party, one with strong bottom up participation and clear organization structures by which grassroots activists could influence party decisions. Accordingly, it developed a dense organization with multiple rules and mechanisms of consultation between base organizations and party elites. So again, it seems like Santi's presenting the FA as a kind of like early in its, like the, the foundational story of this party mm -hmm. has to do a lot with keeping these connections alive. Yes, I think it does seem to be part of the identity. It's also sort of interesting because you see that, I wonder, I guess I wonder the balance. There's a something going on between the, this quote and the quote before it, I think. There's a, it doesn't, it's not a tension, but like, is it the ideas and that they're actually motivated by ideology, which is possible. People are motivated by ideology, right? Mm -hmm. But the other side of this that was presented in the first quote that you read is that, right, the last line of that from page 182 is, this internal competition in turn presents political elites with incentives to build organic ties with base organizations so as to institutionalize each fraction's power, right? So there is some sense in which, like, there is jockeying within the party, within the front, within the broad front, mm -hmm. right, that these sort of fractions need to, in order to enhance their own power, having social bases, like, and being able to be like, I stand, like, this is what the people are saying, and we are going with, the FA needs to go with the people, right? Like, having those kind of ties and those inputs is, like, at times, surely benefiting one fraction over another, mm -hmm. right? So that there is both potentially an ideology here, which I think is legitimate, but also I think that there is ways in which the the structure of the party actually like kind of disperses some of this power and creates more incentives for this. Um. Well, it sounds to me, I'm hearing something that reminds me of what I would have expected the PT to be like prior to its kind of severance of the power of the affiliates. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Like but I don't think it was ever this tightly, like... So I the see. PT, I think, was more like the... I think, I don't know. I mean, this is a question for Santi. But my when I read this, I was uh -huh. like, the PT at the beginning look, seems to me to look more like the Moss. The Frente Amplio seems to be, in some ways, more top-down in that you feel like who's in the Frente 
are all the like right, I mean, leaders of these the, fractions. Right, and they're all they're all kind of intellectuals and like right. These were these were like labor. I mean, I guess yes. There's like labor leaders and left parties and popular movements, but Urban I forget guerrillas. at some point later he mentions who the fractions are, and I feel like it really is like the communists and then the socialists, and that right that you have this more to some degree more, I mean, elite may not be the proper word, but this more kind of like organized group that is then like constantly communicating with the base, but as opposed to it being this like pell-mell of tons of different social organizations, it's this far more, like you said, it's like the five guys arm in arm, right? It's mm -hmm. like a more coherent kind of yes. thing, yes. right? Yes, but I'm that is that. then using the base in a, like, but not using them in a bad way, but just like that that, like, consultation is both part of an ideological leftist program, but then also is useful because the fact fractions are jockeying for power. And there's another sort of in their party institutionalization thing that matters here is that for their internal candidate elections, they required absolute majorities. Mm -hmm. So if you have five fractions, but you can't win on a plurality, you have to be within the broad front, actually doing coalition building and compromise mm -hmm. and, right? I mean, and it both did two things, one of which was prevent the sort of thing that happened with the mass of the emergence of this one powerful leader that is like the party um, because there was that mm -hmm. necessity of sort of having this, you know, jockeying for power, but then also making coalitions. Um, and I think it also kept alive that communication and use of the base for your ability to, you know, try to leverage your own uh, power. And initially mm -hmm. it was interesting when the FA comes to power, the f at first it's the moderate, sort of a more moderate faction, fraction, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually uh, Pepe Mujica wins, who was like from one of the radical faction fractions. So, you know, you ended up seeing actually what is described here in that kind of like rotation of, you know, these, you know, how these coalitions are sort of working. Yeah, five is a good number for that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Right. Sunday said it's in the book. It mentions that it isn't like a fixed number, which I don't sure. know whether that means sometimes they kind of. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means, but. Okay, page one eighty eight. Uh. Wait, do you need to do one? Uh, I think you skipped something. The page 185. Oh, here I am. I'm sorry, page 185. Sorry, I was going too far down. Uh, the FA gradually changed from a Marxist mass party to an electoral professional one while still providing consistent opposition to neoliberal reforms. So why did they moderate? Why did they become a little bit more professionalized? I think, again, um, this is as they begin representing... So you just see this again with all of these as they come to represent national. All right, let's get through this so we can talk about this know. a little bit more. Okay. Um, so here, this is the next thing I was gonna say. Actually, is related to this. So one of the things that um, that gets pointed out as interesting in this chapter is that they govern Montevideo. And like something like half of Uruguay's population lives in Montevideo. Imagine, so it's yeah. like governing Montevideo is actually right? like, yeah, but yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like a huge, you're governing. Yeah, you're basically governing Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite, but right. Um, but that in this process, they increase that it's pragmatism. It's like Panama, right? 
right? Yeah, where everybody lives. I mean, I maybe even more concentrated. More, I'm not okay. sure in Montevideo. Um, because, yeah, anyway, it's not important. Um, anyway, so what's interesting, though, is that this, like, they increase pragmatism in... I think this part is really fascinating, and I would love to know more about it, which I know it's not Santi's specialty. It's, you know, I should ask Juan Bogliaccini and Juan Pablo Luna. Who sure. Do you get cited a million times in this part? Um, but that they, like, increase their pragmatism as they try to govern. I mean, this gets... I think this question is partly that you actually have to deal with the constraints, right? Like, part of why pragmatism increases is because all of a sudden you actually have the constraints of, like, living in your budget, right? Or whatever, right? That there are, like, and that you have to serve, again, like, you are no longer just serving your constituency and fighting for what your constituency wants, but now you're representing all of Montevideo or all of Uruguay or whatever, right? That, like, I mean, we should hope that a president acted like that, represented mm -hmm. everyone. But, mm -hmm. but right, I mean, I think there is a sense that like part of that increasing pragmatism comes from both the constraints, which in, especially in Latin American countries can be intense, like, uh, you know, put in by um, external actors and, and whatnot but then in terms of economics. I don't mean to get too, I don't mean to jump the gun here. I hope I'm not jumping the gun, but I feel like the pragmatism only comes in if you have a commitment to democracy, right? The constraints oh, that you just described yeah. here are democratic constraints, and well, if you're not, well, some are economic. Those aren't democratic. Some are economic, but what you just described there about that you have governing to for others. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And I'm then, if you sure. don't have commitments to democracy, or if you have weak commitments to democratic right. values, then you're not constrained. No, you're not. You're far less constrained. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, then you can just like kill the opposition, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. think thinking of like these bureaucratic authoritarian regimes that this chapter mm -hmm. has brought to mind <laughs> a number of times, right? I mean, when you have union protesters that are going to like threaten your economic plan, kill and jail them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's like you're not governing, governing for everybody. You're governing for some people. And... You, know, you still have to deal with economic constraints, even right. as a dictator. Right. And you still do have to deal with some forms of legitimacy as if you're not mm -hmm. just constantly a, a, a applying increasing levels of repression. Right? right. Right. But if you are interested in democratic legitimacy, yeah. then you are really constrained by the people who don't agree with you. Yeah. And who will reject your... Right. And depending what your system looks like, you have to then like negotiate your stuff through... A legislative body or through right like it's not mm -hmm. just full rule by decree and one of the things that we talked about in one of my discussion sections especially um this past week was just i mean part of what enabled some of morales's things to go through was that he was doing them all by decree right there was mm -hmm. no you know sort of sense that you had to like negotiate this through and that things would become you would have to make compromise and you'd have to right you know which is just a case in Again, not in authoritarian regimes necessarily. I mean, you may have to negotiate that with some other elites that you can't lose their support, but mm -hmm. um, there's fewer veto players often uh, mm -hmm. in those cases. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. But here's this fun part. This isn't on the pragmatism tip, so I don't know if we'll... Should I move on, or do you mm -hmm. want to say anything more about it? So this is really fun, though. 
And I mean, I think if you think about it in light of this pragmatism, it's actually really fascinating. So the FA gets in in Montevideo, right? And they increase pragmatism. But they didn't cut their relations with the social movement base. So again, we see this moment, unlike the PT, and in some ways more like the MAS, but very different from the MAS in other ways, um, because it's extraordinarily institutionalized. So in fact, the FA implemented, this is from page 186, implemented an, implemented an administrative decentralization process that enabled activists and local committees to engage meaningfully in public deliberations and in social policy provision, bringing them increasingly closer to the state. Isn't that fun? I don't think I understand what this means. I mean, it seems to me like what it means is that they like create a, some kind of decentralization process whereby to you know, sort of have basically changes, especially it seems like in the area of social policy, that there was like a kind of public deliberation forum. So I don't know, mm -hmm. this wasn't described as like the participatory budgeting, but has some elements, it seems to me, of this kind of participatory politics. Um, but what it has the effect of doing is like right bringing these sort of movement activists again into the state and I mean, what I know about participatory budgeting anyway is that it tends to actually lead to more compromise and to like social movement actors restraining themselves because they can see other people's needs. And so like you get this kind of interesting dynamic where you can have demands being moderated when you can actually see this thing. But it also is just seems to me to be like in this great Uruguayan far more legible population, right? Of and like And they do this because they've given up certain things. And so this is like a a compromise that they've forged with their base. I mean, I, it doesn't. It's not described in that way. It's just sort of described as that this is just one of the things that's. I don't see its connection to pragmat to being more pragmatic. Oh well, I guess just that I was seeing the pragmatic part of like, well, you just bring your base. It don't cut ties. Bring them closer to the state. Right. I was seeing. But why that. is that pragmatic? Well, I was thinking that if you're trying to rule and control people, then having them closer to the state so that they're more legible is like can be very helpful, no? Yeah, but I mean, it sounds a little bit more like they are trying to institutionalize their partisans and bring their partisans. I mean, it sounds to me actually like the opposite of pragmatism insofar as they're not... They're be, it sounds to me like they're being less compromising with any opposition by essentially creating processes whereby their partisans become more influential in the state. But maybe I'm not well, understanding. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe I'm not understanding what you're... But you think that would be not pragmatic? I mean, I was understanding the pragmatic as being willing to compromise... I guess I would, uh, f yeah, I, I see being pragmatic as being willing to give up certain things in order to gain other things. Right. I guess we would have to know more about what happens in these public deliberations to make a, to connect it too closely to this conversation about yeah. pragmatism. I yeah, just I don't, don't, this was a, this isn't obviously Santi's right. research. And so he's not... I mean, he probably knows more than me about this, but um, 
But yeah, anyway, I can't I can't tell you too much more than what's there. I mean, I, it is cool. Don't get me wrong. I think it's cool. I guess I thought about it as pragmatic in a way of like, how do you, when you're in charge, keep control of your base in maybe actually even a smarter way than by severing ties? Yeah, I think it's definitely a smarter way than but severing maybe, ties. Maybe pragmatism wasn't the right word to use there, but... Well, it works better. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> anyway, it seemed... Seemed cool. I thought it was fun. Anyway. All right. On page 188, in terms of policymaking, the FA has made sweeping reforms in some areas while remaining highly constrained in areas where their allied unions are stakeholders. In other words, under the FA governments, policymaking appears to be highly negotiated inside the governing coalition, with competing actors within the FA functioning as veto players and putting limits on centralized decision-making. Okay. So, I mean, this is just, again, this is like comparing and contrasting these three different movement parties, right? So thinking about how this contrasts the mass. So here you see... I think Uruguay is doing it best. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, don't you always I mean, just want to live in Uruguay? When I think about it, yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, it's like institutionalized. There's like actually institutionalized ways of like getting we involved in... We may be in moving to Uruguay tomorrow. Politics. I don't know. Mom Boglicini has to find us this job. Um, but yeah, it's like, it actually sounds amazing. Like, it sounds like this social movement party has had, like, the way in which it has worked has meant that it has, like, prevented some of the downfalls of the things that happened in Bolivia under the MAS. It sounds far less chaotic. Like, mm -hmm. they just, like, did institutionalize far more. Um, yeah. But then created pathways for their base movements organizations to be involved to be and feel more involved yeah yeah sounds better to me so anyway so these were the fun two comparisons now there was one thing how are we on time mm, we should probably wrap um so there's just one thing i want to note then um there is these there are these really interesting charts on page 200 and 201 of the book okay um and they basically have uh these were from i think la pop yeah, from LAPOP, which is a public opinion survey. Mm -hmm. um, and they looked at basically the sort of, it was like trying to capture how connected to civil society are the party members in each of these countries, right? So the importance of labor unions amongst left partisans, which was measured by like the percentage, percent of left partisans participating in meetings of unions. And then you had another one that was labor unions and other economic-based associations and community-based organi organizations among left partisans. And I don't know if you want to take a look, but just scan those numbers across the three cases and tell me what you, what you notice. Numbers in Bolivia are uniformly larger. And like crazy larger. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like 10 times as much as Brazil, twice as much as Uruguay. Right, Uruguay's in the middle. The PT, it's like you actually see this thing that we just sort of talked about, is that the PT is far more disconnected from a social movement base, according mm -hmm. to these kind of figures. The Ur Uruguayan front, the Uruguayan left is like, I don't know if it's all exactly maps onto the parties, but 
enough, well enough. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was just insane that like the, the I have sort of wondered about this for the whole time that I was reading this book of like just how densely organized the Bolivian civil society seems to be. Mm-hmm. Like everybody seems to be in some kind of a group, you know? Mm-hmm. And that that like uh, that chart seemed to like, yeah, like actually, which I think is also a sort of different scenario where you have so much organized civil society. So anyway, it just yeah. seemed like an interesting kind of chart to me. And as a last thing um, to sort of point out, again, thinking about how that all, how these two cases compared to the MAS. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that density. So anyway, so I think that's where I'll leave it. You guys didn't have to read this week, but I'll get this up so you can listen to this hopefully before we talk to um, Santi or Professor Amria um, on Wednesday. And I hope everybody's hanging in there. Your rhyme sayers will lead you like a beacon of light out of the chaos. Cutting down overzealous players who stay up. When the winners of the game walking will prepare. Climbing the stairways to heaven while you're scared of the people living under. Round heard the sound of the clap made you wonder. If it was a gun, the crowd, or some thunder. All of that was out my window when I was younger. Now I'm much older, lyrically clapping seeds. If you don't know by now, let me acquaint you with my thieves. I don't get on stage and waste your time. Niggas got a lot to say, but they just can't rhyme, they just babies, I snatch them out the incubators, attach them to respirators, they breathing hard like Darth Vader, hard as candy and suck like now or later, after a while your style's tasteless and it got, got no flavor. flavor. my eyesight to the heavens like they're the wise sages, release what I hold sacred through my book of rhyme pages, scripts be ages, like scrolls from Dead Sea, the cadence off and on like the motion of Tai Chi, Bahakwati, worthy to reflect eternally, science to a remedy to help and get my people free, but little support got my thesis on freeze, my only Options doing bootlegs for the Japanese Get about eight G's, a heavy buzz overseas Sacrifice appeal to mainstream and do what I believe Cause down to the chromosomes, I'm a purist to this art form And like you who I touch and let the world catch on Yeah, yeah. we are rhyme sayers Who lead you like a beacon of light out of the chaos Cutting down overzealous players who stay When the winners of the game walking well prepared Climbing the stairways to heaven while you scared of the people living under Ground heard the sound of the clap made you wonder If it was a gun, the crowd of the earth, welcome vexed, I don't mind sticks laced on every verse, my cells puny peaks at least a hundred thousand hertz, meaning my joints are prevalent at fat beats and footworks, I cater to these markets first cause they gravitate to me, and appreciate the vision of what I do musically, I walked in and they stare, see how they screwing me, break you down till you ain't the man you used to be, domination of my jurisdiction, people's addiction to lies, it blurs the lines between the fact and fiction, now we back on mission, I'll fix your face for you, keep yapping, you start to hate the man in the mirror like Michael Jackson, Try to hold me captive with minor figure fractions But the foundation of hip-hop hold my brain cells for ransom My chance none, fuck them spots on charts and number one If it's meant then I'll accept it gracious when the time comes It's thrash through the curriculum, got me sprung like twisted ankles Experience is missable so I approach it from all angles And inject some substance deep inside a rap's core Taking MC and back to where it was before Call us liberty like the Bell of Philadelphia scenery Me and Bahamidi style free like Mumia need to be seeing me Feeling me weak right here on the level turning hard 
rocks and pebbles Exposing the devil Lyrical Olympian like Giancarlo's winning gold medal Take, Take that bass out your voice You talk to me and treble I'm serious and steady beat So you know I ain't playing I'm stimulating Making crowds move like organizations of Philly Keep it positive My prerogative is exercise See through the chaos with my third eye Word I exhibit the exquisite Since a child I was vivid Throw your hands in the air If you with it Dig it, dig it, dig it. We your rhyme sayers Who lead you like a beacon of light Out of the chaos Cutting down overzealous players who stay in the windows of the game, walking well prepared Climbing the stairways to heaven while you scared of the people living under Ground heard the sound of the clap made you wonder If it was a gun, the crowd, or some thunder All of that was out my window when I was younger 718 to 513 We meet at 215 Reflection eternal Bahamadia, yes, yes Yo, listen the fuck up, y'all. It's Mr. X to the Z exhibit, broadcaster with the homegrown. That's right, they straight out of my backyard, the big junkies on Rockets Records. Understand me? It's sound bombing too.